four great adult children. Awesome, awesome, awesome. He's definitely an opportunity. He did run for Senate two years ago, was? Two years ago. Two years ago. So he was... Let's talk about the founding of the Distinguished Gentleman's Club. Absolutely. So uh, about eight years ago, um, you said you're a mother. So how many, how many children? I have five children. Okay. Saying that I was there, African American, and they got this from our president. You know, they were voting. Uh, so what were you doing with your job? The first or the second time? <laughs> we voted the first time. So I was like, I was in and out. <laughs> Good. Awesome, awesome. So let's. So that, that really is a great place right. to transition. And who is sitting across from me or beside me is never going to sway that. Listen, man. One, I'm not going to cry on this episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I made it. I made it through all of these episodes. I think I've cried once. <laughs> Congress, what are, what are the things that you're most proud of accomplishing, you know, as a congressman and as whip? We'll talk with Rajon. Yo, 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 yo. One, two, one, two. Who is out there? What up, what up, what up? What's going, everybody? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Hello, world, and welcome back to Real Talk with Rajan, where nothing's off limits. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with me, and I appreciate that. I am your host, Rajan Lewis. Now, here on Real Talk with Rajan, everything's debatable, so on any given week, we could be discussing anything from sports to music to politics. You name it, we'll discuss it. Now, for those who are new to the show, Real Talk with Rajan has a goal of shining a light on the great people and the great, the great people and the great things going on right here around the low country and beyond. We started out in a small room on my phone and now we've expanded to the point where we're bringing people on from all across the country but we never ever forget our local heroes right here in the low country so i want to start off today we do something a little different this time i want to start off with a video so you want to talk revolution all right i got a black food fact for that in 1966, Bobby Seale and Huey Newton created the Black Panther Party to address police oppression in Oakland, California. One of their most successful community initiatives was the Free Breakfast Program they started in 1969. They realized that hunger and poverty made it hard for children to learn in school. Understandably, the kids were more focused on their empty stomachs than there were their lessons. In summation, it worked. They fed over 20,000 kids in 1969, and by 1971, 35 cities had a breakfast program. It worked so well that J. Edgar Hoover, who was in charge of the FBI at the time, considered the Black Panther Party as, get this, the greatest threat to the internal security of the country, largely because of how quickly the program spread. The FBI was so concerned about the program that they spread rumors that the food was being poisoned and he pressured local businesses to stop giving resources to the Black Panthers. But in 1975, Congress expanded the free lunch program to every public school. wonder where they got that idea from. Do you want to talk revolution? All right, I got a black food fact for that. So, in 1966, Bobby Seale... The man who created that video and the Black Food Fridays international superstar, my homeboy, Mr. K.J. Kearney. Thank you much, so much for joining me, sir. How are you? That was the most spectacular intro I think I've ever Hey, man, we do this here, man. We, we, try to, we try to bring the heat here at Real Talk with y'all, man. Thank you so much for joining me, bro. Um, for, those, for those who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself to the audience. My name is KJ Kearney. I'm a native of North Charleston, South Carolina, proud graduate of Charleston County Public Schools, yep. uh, South Carolina State University, home of the Mighty Bulldogs and the Marching 101, and uh, I currently work in public education. And when I'm not doing that, um, I run an initiative called Black Food Fridays, where we encourage everyone to support black food and beverage based businesses 
wherever the diaspora is found. And uh, we only started in April. And since April, we have over 20,000 followers on Instagram and over 69,000 on TikTok. So the message is definitely getting out there. And I appreciate people like you helping us spread the word. Yeah, man, you already know what it is. You already know what it is, man. I, I definitely appreciate the work and everything that you do, um, you know, both in the schools and in the community. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, what what got you out there? What what instilled this passion? So give us a little background. Tell us about Little KJ. Uh, little KJ was a nerd. Uh, KJ still is a nerd. But uh, I tell people all the time that my parents, um, we are of the age, Rajon, where, like, if your parents really loved you when you were little, they bought you an encyclopedia, right? Like a Britannica set. Yeah, and I was the kid who read the entire set. You know what I mean? Um, I've always thrived off information. And even to this day, I read 50, 60 articles a day. Um, you know, I sprinkle some books in there, but I like, I like to know a lot of different things. So articles is, is my way of doing that. And so very long story short, that, that interest has never really left me. And it's, I think has prov provided an opportunity for me to open a couple different doors um, as it relates to black food and black food history. Absolutely. That that's great. That, that encyclopedia. So we had encyclopedias in my house too. We had the full set. We had like a couple of letters, right? Like we had like EL through, we had like EL through E M. Right. And right. Like right. We, we, we have, we have parts of the like, encyclopedia, the parts I could, I definitely read. Yeah. But but I, I could definitely see how that could how that could benefit you. So shout out to your parents for instilling that love of learning you at such a young age. Um, how how has that related to the person that you become as an adult, and even the things that you become interested in as an adult? Mm. Wow, I think um, first of all, it's a really good question. Um, if I'm gonna be honest, I think being that smart made me think that I was smarter than I actually was. Mm -hmm. and so I neglected a lot of emotional intelligence, a lot of uh, uh, an ability to communicate. You know, I just relied on my smarts. And, you know, when you get older, your your smarts turn into things like they can manifest themselves into gaslighting, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. in, into not taking responsibility because you can talk your way out of some stuff. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm not going to act like, being smart has always been a blessing or even something I wanted to be, you know, but um, regardless what it has done is allowed me to um, create a whole holistic view of how I view life and how I operate life. And now it's a benefit, you know, before I was using my powers for evil. Now I feel like being smart and emotionally, you know, allows me to be emotionally intelligent, allows me to be more mindful, more considerate, concerned about other people. And also understanding that you can't change everybody's mind, right? Some people yeah. go feel a certain way regardless. And, and that's okay, too. There's space for that as well. So, yeah, yeah it's a benefit now, but it, it hasn't always been a benefit. So let's let's dig in right there. Being a the smart black kid, right? That's that's not usually the role that we're we're able to, to fit into, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of cases. Um, did you go to Academic Magnet? For a year. You went to Academic Magnet for a year. Yeah. So what was what was the difference for you from going from the traditional public school to the academic magnet? And please explain to people who don't know what academic magnet is, what it Correct. is. Correct. Okay. So Charleston County School District has a variety of charter schools and magnet schools now. But when we were younger, um, in the 90s, there wasn't a whole lot of magnet and charter schools. Academic magnet was like the first really big, outside of Buse Academy, was like the first really big 
magnet or char charter school in Charleston County School District. And it is exactly what it sounds like. All the smart kids from every middle school in, North, in, in Charleston County would apply. And if you got in, boom, you know, uh, I came from Morningside Middle School, which is in the middle of the hood. And um, even though I never felt black enough growing up, which I'm sure we'll talk to uh, talk about later, it was weird going from that environment to a school like Academic Magnet, where almost everybody's white. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the population skews much worse now than it was when I was there, but it still felt weird, you know. And I failed two classes at Academic Magnet because I was just so engrossed with everything else that the school had to offer. Like, you know, kids complaining because because their mom bought them the wrong $2,000 surfboard, you know, like. Just stuff, kids playing bumper cars with their Mercedes and their dad, you know, like it was just a weird experience. And I got caught up in that. And so, you know, I failed two classes. But because at that time, Academic Mag was really the only place you can go to get those kind of classes. I had to go to summer school. And I believe my summer school teachers were the teachers from Academic Magnet. And they're like, well, you didn't pass it during the school year. You're not going to pass it now. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm smart. I'm smart. I just got caught up. Right. And I did. I passed the two classes and they asked me to come back. And I was like, nah, because y'all didn't think I could do it. I'm going to my feeder school anyway. And that's how I ended up at Stahl High School. Word. So you're the two-year Stahl grad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Word. I, I will not hold that against you as a as a res as the residential North Charleston High School grad. I will not I will yeah. not hold it against you. But Appreciate you. so what was that? So what was that transition like for you? Uh from academic to stall? Yeah. Um, it was uh it was an it was a harder transition than the middle school to high school transition was because I went to Academic Magnet. Then going from this, it, listen, going to a school like Academic Magnet legit is its own world. Yeah. There is nothing to compare to it. So going from that, thinking that this is what high school is, and then going to somewhere like Stahl and realizing, oh, this is actually what high school is. There was a transition. Um, but in hindsight, I made it a bigger deal than it really was, you mm -hmm. know? Like I said, I didn't going from Morningside, always feeling like the 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 the, the black kid that didn't fit in, then going to stall and feeling the same way, and then not realizing, bro, you just got voted most uh, like best all around. Like you know, you gotta fit in with people. Yeah. People gotta like you if you best all around. But I didn't think so. Like in my yeah. mind, my blackness needed to be fixed, which is partly yeah. why I only looked at HBCU seriously. I mean, I got accepted to some Ivy League and you know other schools, but like. When state and fam said, "Hey, we got you," mm -hmm. every other school was like, "Y'all out," because right. I gotta go. I gotta figure out how to be black. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that. So, so your, so your that feeling of you know, like you said, not feeling black enough, that mm -hmm. led to your decision of going to HBCU. One hundred percent. Okay, so so let's talk about about your experience in college through that lens. It was short lived. That feeling was a short lived feeling because when I got there, I got to school early. Because, you know, I'm a nerd. So I went to college early and I was in this like a special program called SCAMP. And um, my first week shattered my own bias about what it meant to be black. Mm -hmm. Because I met my first ever black person from Indiana. It didn't cross my mind that black people live in Indiana. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It never even crossed my mind. I met a black woman from Harlem. Right. I met a black woman from Harlem who had never driven a car before, right? Like, it just, 
Because we're from here. Oh, everybody drives cars. Nobody drives in New York. Yeah. Nobody drives in New York. So you can literally go your whole life and never learn how to drive. So, you know, my roommate was a light-skinned dude from Columbia who was in a heavy metal band, right? But, like, what what I learned that first week of school is, guess what? We still all black. Yeah. Right? And, like, so it completely destroyed this misnomer that I had in my own head that I somehow didn't fit the mold or I wasn't, you know, real or whatever the case may be. Um, and that's why I will always advocate for my school and um, always try to push a black kid to go to an HBCU. I mean, they can go wherever they want to, yeah. but there's something to be said about being a part of dominant culture in yeah. your most impressive years of life from 16 to 20. I mean, that kind of forms the foundation of who you are. Yeah. Um, and I, to be a part of a dominant culture during those years, I think that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. No lie. I love that. I love that. I, I love I love what you just said about the fact that, you know, being there a week changed your whole mindset on it. And I think that a lot of people don't realize this, but like when you do go to college, especially like an HBCU, you realize being a, the, a smart black person isn't an oddity. No. Because everybody here is smart. No, like all yeah. the like, like my daughter's at Clemson. It's a PWI, but it's the same thing. I'm like, yo, like y- you were the smartest person in all your groups at, at Somerville High. Mm-hmm. When you go to Clemson, you're gonna be one of a many smart kids. Like yeah. everybody, everybody's applying themselves. Everybody's yeah. smart. Everybody, and the same thing applies to HBCUs. People also have this misnomer, like you said, that if you go to to, to HBCUs, it's this watered down version of education. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Those kids have to get into those schools too. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what do you think that you learned by going to HBCU that you may not have learned going through a, a PWI? That education has many definitions and that what we focus on because of the system that we live in is a formalized version of curriculum based education. What South Carolina State gave me was an education about being a black person. Mm. Right. Like that education was more because val- I could have gone to any school. And I would have cut up academically. You know, I would have been straight at anybody's school. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, I could have gone to a, an Ivy League. I got accepted to one. Um, but the education of what it means to be black, what it means to own your blackness, what it means to when people say be unapologetically, you know, all of that stuff, you get a full understanding when everyone around you looks the same. Your your prince, your principal. I work in education now. Yeah. But your president. All the way down when everybody, the cafeteria lady, the janitor, your professors, everybody's black. You have to learn how to operate on a different level. Right. There's no race card here because we are all black. Yeah. And so if a girl gives you play, it's not because she's fetishizing the fact that you're black. Yeah. If, you know, if a, if, if a girl doesn't give you play, it's not because she don't like black dudes. You know, if a yeah. professor gives you a bad grade, it's because you earned a bad grade. So all the excuses get removed. Because it's just about you as an individual. It's the closest, unless you move to a country like, you know, a a continent like Africa. Mm -hmm. It's the closest that I think any black person will feel to what white supremacy or white privilege, rather. Let me not say white privilege. Just waking up and not having to be reminded that you're black is such a freeing feeling that I wish every kid, every black kid in America could feel. I feel like we should just, even if your kid wants to go to Clemson, right? Go to Claflin for a year, right? Go to State for a year. Go to yeah. Voorhees for a year. Just get that foundation before you move on. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I even like, and I'll even say this, if you do decide to go to a, a PWI, at least join Black Student Union or something like that. So you will be surrounded by the other kids of your culture who are in your in your environment. I think that's so important. You know what, reason? I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a, I'm a challenge you on that one. I love it. Go ahead. Only because I feel like what's the use of going to a PWI and just hanging around all the Black people? Mm. You could have took your behind the HBCU. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. why go to Clemson with thirty thousand students and hang out with all the all five thousand of the black kids? Yeah. That don't make no sense. Like, all the people I know who go to PW who went to PWIs, very few of my black friends who went to PWIs have white friends. Mm. And I'm like, how do you go to a school like that and not get? You don't have an Indian friend. You don't have a Native American friend. You don't have a you know, you don't have a white homeboy or girl like that invite you to the wedding. Like you don't have those things. Why did you go? You could have just went Tuskegee or something. Like you could have. Yeah. Anyway, so, so that's where I'm pushing back at. So 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 funny story, right? One, well, two things. One, I am the black guy who went to a PWI who has oh, white friends from the there school. You go. Shout okay. out to Nick Tipling. <laughs> Shout out to Nick Tipling, Hillary Cooper. I call all of them. I love them. They're dope. Yeah. Um, Two, uh, in 2017, 2017, I was working when I began, I began working with um, low country youth services in 2016. So 2017, we took a group of boys, um, to Tuskegee for a, a trip, like a tour, a school tour. And we went, we stayed overnight, um, right, right, right where near the, uh, where the um, Booker T uh, Washington statue is Yeah, right there. We went to a Tuskegee game. We walked the campus. They did like the whole, the works and everything. Yeah. Fam. When I tell you, if I would have taken that tour in high school, I was going to Tuskegee. Oh, bro, no doubt about no doubt about did it. You, in did my you get mind. to see them sing? Did you went to a football game? I went to a football game. Did you get to see them sing ball and parlay. That is one. Like I love my school. I'm not. I would never trade my experience for anything. But to see Tuskegee sing ball and parlay. At a full, I want to do that. Like I want to go to Tuskegee and see them under the shed singing "Ball to. You got to, fam. Yeah. You got like even the national anthem, like just the national. Like I, I was in tears, bro. Like mm -hmm. I was in tears, like because again, that was that was right around the time like the Colin Kaepernick stuff was going on, like the mm -hmm. blackballing and all of that. Like yeah. and like to see them singing the national anthem with their fists raised, mm -hmm. and like. It got to be weird and nobody like boo booing them. Yeah, yeah, unpatriotic. Yeah. Like they right. stood for the national anthem with their fists raised. Like right. it was like, oh my God, this is home. This yeah. is Wakanda. Like that's how I felt like I was like, this is Wakanda. Like this is it. Like this, like it. So, like I said, that if I would have went on that tour in high school, I was going to Tuskegee. There was no doubt in my mind. I was going straight from because I didn't even go, I wouldn't even a straight from high school to college guy. I went to the military first. Uh, so, yeah, like, that's right. So, like, to, to have that experience, and every boy that went with us was like, I'm going to the school. Right. I can see that. When, right, I, when I visited State, because I've been going as a little kid. Yeah. My uncle would take me to football games. An older cousin would, you know, went to State. So I've been going to State back and forth. But it was my senior year of high school. When I went, I got a scholarship, a full scholarship. Me and my mom went for me to collect the scholarship. They had the ceremony. And I remember the Sigmas stepping on stage. And throwing candy in the crowd. And I remember the champagne girls dancing. Yep. And I said, bro, if this is what college is like, sign me Sign me up, up now. Now. I didn't even pledge Sigma, <laughs> but I was like, bro, like this is ridiculous. I'm coming here. I'll talk. Let me ask you this. Do you think 
and I want to I want to continue this discussion because I think this HBCU conversation is one one I've never had on the show with anybody, so I think it's a really great discussion. But two, I think that there's so like our culture has shifted so much towards telling people like you don't need to go to college. You know that conversation. So like that whole thing. Like, do you think in the black community we have de-emphasized college to the point that our children don't value education at all? Mm, I think that's uh, I think that's a straw man argument, bro. I agree. Go ahead. I think the devaluation of education has nothing to do with people saying stop forcing kids to go to college because college ain't for everybody. Right. Like and 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 more importantly, college is increasingly getting more and more expensive and black people historically make less money than white people. We don't historically have a whole lot of savings in terms of education or anything like that. So why would we continue to push people to to start their working adult lives, right? 20, 21 years old in thousands of dollars of debt when all they wanted to do was be a veterinarian. Well, you could have been a vet tech first, right? Go to Trident Tech, get the vet tech, work there for a while, see if you like it, then go to Tuskegee or, you know, go to another school to get your your bachelor's and then go to Tuskegee for your veterinarian doctor, doctoral degree. Like Mm -hmm. there are many ways to climb this this mountain. Now, again, so devaluing education and not pushing kids to college are two, in my opinion, Uh two totally different things. The devaluation, and I don't even know if I, that's not my experience that education is devalued because I work at an elementary school. So, and all my nieces and nephews are in school and they love it. And, you know, so that's not my experience. Uh, What I can say is uh, that there is increasingly, what alarms me is the lack of support outside of the school system. I feel like our school system is not broken. It is doing exactly what it's designed to do, which is create a permanent proletariat working class people um, because we are in a, a tourism heavy city, right? Yeah. And yeah. so if everybody has magnet level education, who is going to clean the toilet at the Mills Inn? Mm. You know, like who is going to cook the food at Magnolia or any other of these restaurants that are all over TV? Like who's going to do that when everybody has aspirations of becoming a business owner or a doctor or a lawyer? Like someone yeah. clean the toilets. So in my opinion, the fact that property value is what funds school, again, is not an accident because yeah. the kids who live in poor areas will always have poor schools to go to. Yeah. And it's in. It won't have the resources, whether it be educational, whether it be emotional, psychological. They're not going to have that stuff. So then their mindset, their bar is going to be a little bit lower than other people. And in life, people think like that there's this big difference between the guy who was, uh, a student concern specialist and the guy who was a lawyer ain't that much of a difference, bro. Right. It's like right. one or two different experiences that this person had that this person did. And that's why this person now over their lifetime is going to make 10 million. Yeah. And this person over their lifetime is only going to make, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. Like yeah. it ain't a huge jump. So no, they're not the same thing to me. Those are two different questions that should be handled separately. I love it. Great answer. I mean, great answer, and I agree with everything you just said. I just, I just always like to put those things out there. So that's that's. Yeah. Really no, listen. I knew you was coming with the heat, yeah. so I had to be on my A game. Always, it. man. Always, always, man. <laughs> Real talk, Rajon, man. We we spare we spare no expense when it comes to questions. Uh, so let's get back to your your your, your college experience. I want to get a, a little bit more out of that before we move on. 
Um, so did you pledge um, a fraternity in college? I did. I pledged Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. The Why Alpha? Chapter. Um, honestly, if if I could have pledged my freshman year, I might have been an Omega. Uh, only because Omegas, I was in an academic. So again, I'm a nerd. So I was in this uh, uh, the first ever honors program at South Carolina State. Okay. And so we didn't stay with the rest of the freshmen. We stayed with upperclassmen. And in the hallway that I lived on, all the upperclassmen seemed to be Omegas. And they were showing us so much love, bro. Like every time they had a party, they would invite us. And I played football. So a lot of football dudes were Omegas. They would just show so much love. And uh, in high school, my senior, my mentor, one of my mentors was an alpha. Actually, a couple of my mentors were alpha. I hated those dudes. I was like, they think they know it all. They think they so smart. Da 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 da. And then I meet these omegas, and I'm like, bro, these dudes just want to party. Like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so thank God I couldn't pledge my freshman year because I left, did an internship at Disney World, you know, for about seven months, came back, and I realized, yo, I'm way more like alphas than I gave myself credit for. Mm. I am a Mr. Know It All. I want to be a leader in my school, in my community. You know, and you have all these men that you can look to that have led and done great things. And it's like, mm, I'm much more aligned with that. And then the ideal of pledging something that came after someone, just uh, like, I'm like, nah, yeah, bro. Yeah. So all of y'all can thank my fraternity for allowing y'all the space to breathe. Uh, you know, <laughs> just you're very arrogant at that time of my life. But yeah, 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 yeah. So that's why I pledged Alpha Phi Alpha. So I, so I didn't pledge any fraternities. Um, mm -hmm. When when I was when I went to college, I was twenty eight years old, mm -hmm. and I wasn't getting spanked by no nineteen year old. Just I wasn't happening in any part of my life. I just was yeah. not signing up for that. Now I understand grad chapters now, so that's an option for me. But yeah. I don't see, I don't know. It, maybe in the cards, well, I don't you know. Got time, bro. Like it's no rush unless I die. Then you know, right? Well, then, 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 then there is no time. Yeah. But anyway, so I so but I remember when I was a kid, the only time I ever wanted to pledge, like that, I actually knew what heard of what a fraternity was mm -hmm. and wanted to pledge because I didn't have any family members that went to college, that like graduated from college or anything like that. So like my experience was totally different. But I remember the NAACP used to have yearly um the Image Awards, mm. and they would have like one year. I don't know if they did it every year, but I remember this one year they did this giant step off on the stage mm. and they brought all of the divine nine fraternities on the stage. Uh, divine nine, uh, historically black. All the black yeah. Greek letter fraternities. Okay. Yeah. And they were on the stage. And I remember these dudes got on the stage and they had on red and white and they had red and white canes. And like, that is the dopest thing right. I have <laughs> ever seen in my life. They was twirling the canes yeah. and it was thumping and they was throwing the cane up and catching the cane. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And then I met some, like, and then as an adult, I met some cappers and realized I would never, ever, ever be a capper. So <laughs> you would have just been a different type of capper. I just know. No. There's no. nothing about them that agrees with me. I'm I, sorry if y'all cap is watching. Please continue watching. But I tried. No. You know, yeah. Nah, that was cool. I, I appreciate. I, mean, it. I feel like I could have been anything, and I would have still been, you know, successful because I've never leveraged my alpha phi alpha ism. Yeah. Into and anything. That's right because I've never like I've known you a couple years now, and I've yeah. never heard you say that you are a kappa. I mean, we're um alpha. Like yeah, some dudes, yeah, yeah. that's the first thing you learn. Hi, yeah. my name is Jimmy Douglas, and I'm an alpha. I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah, okay. I'm, not, I'm not fans of dudes who lead with that, only because there's so much more in life to discuss. If that's what we're going to start off with, this period of time 
where you were an undergrad 20 years ago, that's what you want to lead off with, bro? We probably not going to have much to talk about. So, fam, I'm going to let you live your life. I'll be like, I'll be like oh, all right, that's, that's aggressive. But I yeah. did meet some, I met some really dope, um, cute um, Omega men um, when I was overseas, like some really solid dudes. And I, so, like, much like you, I, I would have either went with, um, but I'm also not into branding. So, that mm-hmm. sort of would have got me out of the out of the Omega game. So, yeah. So I, I don't know if you like, have to brand yourself, but I feel you. The pressure is. It, it seems like it seems like that's 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 the game. So yeah. like that's that's the whole game. <laughs> but I don't want to stay there forever. Thank you for for, for talking about that with me. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 talk. So you graduate, you come back. Um, how did you end up in the education field? Oh God! All right, real talk, Rajon. The real up, questions. I ended up in the education field. Because of a very short-sighted, no, misguided attempt of trying to win a woman's affection. Ooh. Yeah. Um, up until that point, I tolerated children. Um, I didn't hate kids, you know, but I tolerated them. Mm-hmm. And um, a young lady who I was no longer dating at the time, she worked in education. And so there was an opportunity for me to do some volunteer work at a school that she was working at. And I took it because I was like, you know, I'll be around, you know what I'm saying? But two days in, I fell in love with working with the kids. Yeah. Now, it would be a long time before my mental maturity got to a point where, you know, I realized that the ideal of volunteering with kids to try to get a girl is creepy. Right. Like that maturation process took a lot longer. But the love for children came. And I'm not joking. Maybe two days in to working with these kids, I was like, yo, this is dope. Um, And so I was working at MUSC at the time. There wasn't no money at the job I had. So I left and I went to Hertz rent a car. I had like a management trainee program and I quit that job and I didn't have anything else to you know. I didn't have another job. It's the only time I ever quit a job without a backup plan. And um, that young lady was like, yo, you should be a substitute teacher until you figure out what you want to do. So I was like, all right. And then I started substitute teaching. And then I ended up at a school called Daniel Jenkins, which is an um, alternative behavior school. So when kids get kicked out of their school, they go to this school to try to like rehabilitate them. For those of you who don't know what that means. And um, I mean, my first day I got cursed out by like six kids. And I was like, I kind of like this, you know, like. I kind of liked it. So, like, they would have open substitute jobs every day because nobody wanted to go to the school. Yeah. And I so I just kept signing up every day, every day. I would come every day, every day. Literally, every day for, like, three months, I would go. And to the principal was like, you want to work here? And I was like, yeah. Like, I need benefits. That would be awesome. And so that's how I became a teacher's assistant. Wow. Yeah. Like, that's literally how it happened, bro. Trying to get back with a girl um, who for the record, had every reason to dump me, you know, like the person that she dumped deserved to be dumped. Like that guy was not the kind of guy you want to build a life with. Let me put it that way. Yeah. So, you know, it was misguided why I got into the field. But once I got in, I think the universe, that was like one of the first times the universe like clicked me. It was like, you know, boom, you found part of your purpose, bro. Yeah. That's, that's the crazy thing about working with kids is like, even like, you may think to yourself like, nah, I don't, I don't do kids. But like the first time you go into a classroom and like the kids like latch on to you, you're like, oh, this is kind of dope. Yeah. That's what happened to me. Cause I didn't, I didn't want to be a teacher. Like mm. I, 
I had no interest in being a teacher or working with kids. Yeah. Um, outside of maybe like coaching my kids and they're like they're in their little sports teams and stuff. But the first time I hit a classroom and like the kids just like, oh man, why would you you gonna be here? You coming back tomorrow? Like they were so excited. Like oh, so yes. like, that's that's a dope feeling. Rajon, let me be real, bro. Like it took about two to three, no, it was maybe maybe like four months of me continuously showing up to this school when the kids realized, oh, this man ain't going nowhere. Right. You know what I mean? And then after they realized that, did I still get jonesed on by some of the kids? Yeah. Because again, you know, their ideal of what a real man is doesn't mesh with who I am. Yeah. So there was a lot of that, like, you know, chest measuring, for lack of a better term, you know, questioning of one's sexuality um, yeah. and all that. But even that was an opportunity to teach. You know, it's like, yeah. So why do you think I'm gay? Not that yeah. being gay is a bad thing, but tell right. me what you see in me that makes you think that about me. Yeah. Oh, word, yeah. because I use complete sentences uh, <laughs> and I wear, you know, khakis. Like, like seriously, like, they would say some of the most banal yeah. things. Yeah. And you'd be like, you think that makes someone a homosexual? <laughs> That's wild, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so, like, yeah. for me, again, because I thrive off information, that kind of environment was great. Because I got to learn so much from the kids in terms of like how they are really growing up, what they really believe are like invaluable assets to them. You know, yeah. they're willing to die for respect. You know, like there's so many things that they had to deal with that I never had to deal with that I learned from those kids. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't change that part of my life for for anything. I love it. I love it, man. So. So, so you're in the schools, you're working in the schools. Shout out to you for everything that you're doing in the classroom, man. I I, I see you over there. I don't know if we're supposed to say where you work at or whatever, so I'm not going to do that. Whatever. It's no cool. Charleston Creative Arts. Yeah, yeah. No Charleston Creative Arts. But you're down the street from where I graduated, and mm -hmm. you're in a place that if you were there while I was in school, I would have been coming to your school. And mm. stuff like that makes me really excited, which means that kids are, that are growing up like I grew up get yeah. to deal with Mr. Kearney, yeah. which is a dope feeling. What's that like for you? Mm. I mean, to be to be fair, it's not a feeling that I will fully appreciate until I'm not doing it anymore. Right. Because when you're doing it in the moment, sometimes it's very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like when the summer comes, when spring break comes, where you get to reflect and be like, yo, you know, like this kid asked for me. Yeah. Like this kid was going through something was tearing up the classroom. And when they asked, which trusted adult do you want to go see? They said, Mr. Kearney. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. they could chose any adult there and they wanted to come to my office or, or, you know, with my job, I'm the behavior guy. So sometimes it's for good stuff and sometimes it's for bad stuff. Right. But even when it's bad stuff, I don't, I feel like I've earned enough respect for them that they don't like wild out on me when I come to correct them, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. I bring a level of respect to them, even though they're children, that I would want. I mean, I don't have kids, but I would want to do to talk to my kid the same way. Like, right. having a conversation with my man. Like, don't just be out here barking on children like that, especially black children. They ain't going to help their development. If right. all you know about, you know, the leadership of a black man is that they bark on you, then that's what they're going to grow up to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I have a chance to set precedent every day. Yeah. Even with the white kids, like, wow, like black people aren't that bad, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or like, right. I don't care what my parents say. These dudes are actually cool, you know, like 
That's it. That precedent, bro. That's it. That was always my favorite thing about teaching. Mm. I get the opportunity to change kids' minds no matter what their parents say. Mm -hmm. It's hard to tell your child all black men are criminals and rapists and thugs and all these things when Mr. Lewis was their teacher in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Lewis was dope. And Mr. when I was crying on the playground, Mr. Lewis was the one that came and, and picked me up. When those kids wanted to fuss at me and, and was screaming at me, Mr. Lewis came and defended me. So mm -hmm. now black man is protector. Yeah. Now black man is leader. Now black man is love. And I, I loved I was, you saying that it, it like that's the part that I miss. I'm gonna tell you also what your what the thing that I remember that that always reflects on me. So my first year of teaching was 2014, 2015 uh, school year, mm -hmm. right? That was my first year of teaching. When I stopped teaching at one school, a kid that I taught at that school in fourth grade joined my mentoring program so he could spend more time with me. Wow, that's real. That's, that's real. It that's real, bro. That is super real. And that uh, that's a feeling that a lot of black men don't get. Right. And so um, it's a it's a fraternity. I look at it, you know, no pun intended of black men who work with children. Right. Because there's not a lot of us in the education system, whether it be a formalized education like where I work or you in the mentor space. Yeah. There's not a lot of black men who spend time with children who ain't theirs. Right. right? So like we have a special appreciation for the process for the work that goes into it for the development of these children um that i wish i wouldn't like again you know like i've never i've not made the amount of money that i believe i'm capable of that's coming by and by but i would not give up the experience that i've had working in public education um because it made me a legit better person like i'm yeah. not no cap, bro. Like it, it legit made me a better person. I Absolutely. would not change any of those experiences, man. For real. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about the things that's coming, man. You know, because you are not just Mr. In the Classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, you are KJ Kearney, international superstar, as I announced you earlier. Right. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Black Food Fridays, man. Where did it come from? Like, what mm -hmm. was the, the thought process in the creation of it? And you know, where's it going? Mm, okay, so the thought process, it came from a lot of things. So I'll keep it as concise as possible. So I wrote I wrote the proclamation for Red Rice Day that the city of Charleston adopted in 2018. So that. for anybody watching, the city of Charleston has an official day to celebrate Red Rice. All right. And it's because of me. I wrote what the day is it? Um, but because of my background in education and because of my background in politics, um, because I was working for a statewide environmental policy nonprofit organization. I realized I ran for office, then I worked in politics, then I wrote this proclamation. And it all connected because what I realized is when I was campaigning, I realized a lot of politicians overtalk the room, you know? And being an educator means that you can take complex situations and you can break it down, especially in my regard, because I worked with elementary and middle school age kids. Yeah. I can break things down in a way that an elementary or middle school kid can realize and recognize. I didn't realize I had that superpower until after I ran for office, because when I was running for office, I would tell somebody what my platform is and say, yo, I want to fix infrastructure. And, I, and it wasn't until somebody was like, what does infrastructure have to do with running for politics? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they were like. You want to fix buildings? And I'm like, oh, you think infrastructure 
It's like architecture. Like yeah. you want yeah. to build yeah. How many other people are thinking this, but just never said it? So like that moment, 2016, led me to believe that or realize that we are over talking the room in a lot of situations. Keep and on. then, yeah, no problem. And then after that, you know, when we go from from uh, educational standpoint of whether the education of running for office, and then pairing that with actual education, meaning working in a classroom setting mentorship setting, coaching setting, you take that same skill set of this is a complex situation and I'm going to break it down for you in the simplest of terms or as simple as I can. That led to me being like, okay, if I want to make political change, it has to be done, in my opinion, I have to be, as 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 Ben Pogue tells me, uh, Ben Pogue is a gentleman who ran for solicitor recently. Mm -hmm. Ben Pogue said that the reason Black Food Fridays works is because I operate under the level of perception. So I'm doing work. People know I'm here, but they don't exactly realize what I'm doing until it's too late, right? Red Rice Day was a part of that journey of being political without being overt, right? Over something that is non-divisive. Like who's going to be mad about red rice? No one's going to be mad. Right. They didn't realize that legislation made that happen. So then once you learn how that happens, then it's easier to plug in in the political world because it's like, oh, none of this stuff is complicated. This is all connected. Yeah. Which leads to Black Food Fridays, right? So the beginning of the pandemic, I uh, before the pandemic, I I was contracted by Charleston Wine and Food to lead some tours of soul food restaurants. Excuse me. And uh, it went really well. And so the pandemic was like right about to hit right after the festival. And I realized that, yo, people don't know where these black restaurants are. Like, I did this tour. We had people from Trinidad, New York, Ohio, California. And they were like, bro, all I wanted to do was eat at black restaurants. I was like, what? Like, you could have gone anywhere and you wanted to do this? Right. Again, you know, taught me how to connect those dots. And so what I realized is there's, a, there's an opportunity there to showcase these black-owned restaurants that are going to be struggling during COVID. And because I have, I was able to see that vision. I started in April fifth, April fifth, twenty twenty, just posting about black-owned restaurants that are open during COVID, and that led to, you know, uh, building it out to a somewhat educational platform. So it, it went from just education from a here's where a black restaurant is to here's how you can support them to here's how you can be a better ally to. Now, Black Food Facts, which has kind of taken off. Yeah, yeah. Because the one, like the one I played in the beginning, if y'all are just getting on, you didn't see the one I played in the beginning, and it was freaking amazing. Just, just making that tie between the Black, uh, the Black Panther Party and the free lunch programs in the schools. So, thank mm -hmm. you for, for for sharing that, and I definitely yeah, want to share some more um, later on as as like after this episode ends. But yeah, Fair. like I, I think I think like doing that. And making those ties, one, allows you to celebrate Black History Month all year long as something mm. that definitely needs to happen. But it also ties, it makes that tie between the food and, and the people. Um, yeah. People, a lot, you know, a lot of people say, you know, they want our, they love our rhythm, but they don't want our blues. Mm. And, and, and it's, it's so important that we make those ties between both because it's, it's really, really important. Yeah. Um, I want to I bring it back to something we talked about earlier. How mm. does, how is Black Food Fridays influenced by your HBCU experience? Wow, uh, you're the only person that's ever asked that question. I've been interviewed by the Today Show, Mike.com. I mean, 
a whole and you're the only person that ever asked that. Give me five seconds to to ponder. I think in the simplest terms, my go-to is black, right? Like my first instinct is to protect black, is to yeah. promote black, is to highlight black because of my HBCU. And not I'm gonna be real, not just because of my HBCU experience, because you know, uh we lived on um, off of Boxwood Avenue, you know, near the hike, you know, mm-hmm. in Winsler. Uh, we we lived. I went to Morningside Middle School, you know, in the Ferndale area, you know, Liberty Hill area. I played JV football at North Charleston High School. You know, I went to Stahl High School. You know, like my whole life has been spent around black people. Yeah, you know, we went to a black church. You know, predominantly black church. Um, so my whole life has been around there. So that's just my go-to. So I mean that's the simplest answer is it's the go to, but on a more uh, in a more in depth answer would probably have to include the the realization that when you go to an HBCU, no one can teach black people like other black people, right? Like I've had some spectacular white teachers, I really have. Miss Cone, my English teacher, my honors English teacher, is one of the best teachers I've ever had in my life, but I've learned more about life from other black people because again for me the education part wasn't the hard part mm-hmm. it was the it was the holistic view of how to be a good person yeah. how to be a good man how to be you know a, a a better son how to be a better brother like all that stuff i learned from other black people yeah and so you know i tell people black food fridays is for black people as much as it is for white people yeah. like this isn't charity for white people there are black people who don't know these things yeah. Who who realize like, yo, I don't ever spend my money with black owned restaurants. I spend all my time trying to go to Oak, you know, Oak Steakhouse or, you know, um, like I said, you know, aforementioned uh, uh, Magnolia or Hall. Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with those places. But even they realize like, bro, I haven't spent money with a black person in months. Yeah. Like I have people hit me up like, yo, I, bu- I went to Swank D- Dessert. This was my first time going to a black restaurant in like six months. Thank yeah. you. You know, so this is just as much for my people as it is for anybody else, because we can all be better allies. Um, for us, I guess we'd be better brothers and sisters, uh, be- you know, better family members in the diaspora or allies, however you want to view it. But mm-hmm. this is an educational experience for everybody. Mm. I love that, man. I love that. Um, where, where does Black Fri- Food Fridays go from here? TV show. I mean, it has to. To me, that's the natural conclusion. I don't want conclusion is not the right word. That's the natural maturation of this mm-hmm. of this process. And why do I say television show? Because um, when it's on TV, it's real to people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like supporting black is a thing that we do on the internet, but the internet's not real to a lot of people, right? TV is still real to a lot of people. Even if it is Netflix or Hulu, it's still real. And yeah. so to elevate black cuisine and black business and black history and black empowerment all in one, you know, in an episodic format on a network that people respect will elevate all of black cuisine. Right. And then it'll make it easier for another dude or woman to come behind me and get their show. And another person get, you know, white people don't have a shortage of food shows. It's not like, Oh, Anthony Bourdain is on TV. There's no room for anybody else. Right. You know, like I want to be, I might be one of the first in the food travel space, but there are people like Cartier Brown who have 
a dynamic cooking show. You know what I mean? There's a whole bunch of people who have that, and there's room for more. Like, where's our black Gordon Ramsay who yells right. at? You know, where's our black guy who goes saves bars or you know or or, or restaurants? Where's yeah. our black person who takes leftovers and makes you know these fancy? Like, there's so many. Where's the black person who goes eat bugs in Singapore? Like, we need all of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I don't look at myself as the the end all be all to this food TV thing, but I feel like the kind of show that I have in my brain that I'm working on, once that show gets aired, it's going to open the floodgates for other people to get in on this content game, not only create a living for themselves, but elevate black cuisine. Yeah, I, I agree totally, man. I, I definitely think that's the that next next progression. Like that's the next step in the progression. It has to be. Um, it sounds like you have this thing pretty well thought out. Have you started pitching yet? I'm actually in a film lab, so I'm learning how to build a TV show, right? Mm. I got class after this. Like, we got class tonight, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I've written a show Bible. Um, because my TikTok is taken off, you know, I've been introduced, or rather, literary agents have come to me, you know, about wa wanting me to write a book. Um, you know, some producers from TV shows that I respect are like, bro, however we can help you, let's make it happen. I'm just very conscientious of being a good steward of what I've been blessed with. Yeah, man. What the universe has provided me. You know, I don't look at Black Food Fridays as like, I mean, it is a business, but it is also a gift. And I want to be a good steward of that gift. So yeah. um, I want to learn the game before I just hop out there off the porch and end up losing it. You know, somebody sign a bad contract and then they own it. Now I can't do Black Food Fridays no more, you know? Right. So, right. I love that. I love that. I love it, man. Yeah. So, and answer your question: the three things: television show, book, um, and some kind of educational curriculum that lives on outside of me. Whether it's an online, you know, online courses, whether it's a supplement to classrooms, whether it's a workbook, whether it's a textbook, I don't know, but some kind of on like perpetual educational because the kids, no one, no one's getting their Black history in much depth. It's always Martin Luther King, Booker T. Washington, Madam C. J. Walker, like. A black man invented the ice cream scooper, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's so many black people that we don't learn about that need to, and I feel like that might be my role, just to yeah. please supplement to that. I don't know what it looks like yet, but, you know, to be a supplement to that. I love that, man. I, I know that you got to get out of here because you got class, like you said, tonight. So I want to go ahead and wrap. I want to I want to let you, you know, give your parting, any parting thoughts that you have tonight. Mm, parting thoughts, number one is I appreciate you. Outside of the show. Y'all don't know this. I don't know if he's been telling y'all, but Rajon has come to my school and he we have like a little gentleman's club thing going and Rajon comes and he talks to our kids and they pay attention to him, which is key because you're not at our school every day. Yeah. Right. It's just easy to ignore people who don't come every day. So they listen to you and I'm going to give you props in front of everybody. Thank you for coming, first of all. And thank you for being dynamic enough to get them you know, on board. Man, uh, the I second thing I want to say is to anybody who's watching this. I had 40 TikTok followers at the beginning of January, mm. 40. I have 69,000 now. What does that tell me? It tells me that if you have a good idea, put it out there. You never know who's going to resonate with your, with your product, with your service, right? The thing that you're like, oh, there's only like 10 people. To, and it may be true. Maybe only 10 people like it, but it could go in the opposite direction where a whole lot of people like it. And, you know, like I said before, I've, in, just in January, I've been interviewed by Mike.com, Twisted in the UK, 
You know, I've been quoted by Condé Nast, Traveler in the UK. Um, uh, I got interviewed by the Today Show, you know, Insider Business, like this, a whole bunch of people because of TikTok, you know, because of how I've been able to bridge the gap between education and food. Um, so put your idea out there, whatever it is, go ahead. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good and you yeah. don't start. Start. The third thing is I want this to be a full-time job. So I have a Patreon. So if any of you are willing to support me directly, you can visit my Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Black Food Fridays. Um, just, and if you don't remember that, just go to the Patreon website, gotcha. Black Food Fridays. Um, but yeah, you know, I, so we've, we've already had 30 people directly support me. Every month they're giving me money. And it's, you know, it's $5, but you know what I mean? Like it matters. All this stuff counts. And to the point where some of these other stuff come through, whether it be a show or a book deal or whatever, um, it allows me to reinvest that money back into the black communities. I use that money to go eat at black restaurants. You know what I mean? Yeah. All that's important. And lastly, thank goodness for growth. I want to say that. Um, 27-year-old KJ would not be in a mental space, would not be in an emotional space, would not even have heard, would not have believed that 37-year-old KJ could be, this sounds like a brag, but it's just an honest-to-God truth, could be uh, a considerate person, could be a mindful person, um, could be smart, but also be smart in a way that benefits other people other than himself. And because I've been able to do that, I think my, my, my gift has made way for me. And the last thing is, please, y'all, this is my resolution for the year. It's, been, it's done wonders for me. Set more qualitative goals than you do quantitative goals. Yeah, yeah. Your goals should not always center around a number because most of these numbers are arbitrary and you drive yourself insane because you don't make $50,000. Well, who said you're supposed to make 50? What if you're supposed to be a $250,000 person and yeah. you keep selling yourself short because you keep focusing on that stupid $50,000, which is what I felt like I did. Yeah. That was my number. No, 60 was my number. If I could just make 60,000. But the way life is working, 60000 I might spend that on a vacation in three years. You know what I'm saying? Like the way my life is going. So my dedication to creating qualitative goals, goals that end in emotion, in feeling, saying when someone watches my video, I want Rajon to feel like, ooh, I didn't know that. Or I want to, you know, someone who watched to be like, damn, you know, I learned something new. That's what I want. That's my goal. My goal is no longer, I hope 100 people like this picture or a thousand people like this video. I want people, whoever watches it, to have a certain feeling. So start setting qualitative goals because it pinpoints you into exact action. When I know the end goal in terms of what I want people to feel, then I know the path I need to take to get there. Yeah. And the path to get there is different than the path to just get to 100 people. Those yeah. are two different paths. Yeah. So the end. Follow me I on both TikTok, TikTok and Instagram at Black Food Fridays. Oh, at Black Food Fridays. Listen, so I got to tell you this quick story before you get out of here. I, know yeah. you gotta go. I wanted to meet you so badly like four years ago, like two to three, two, three, four years ago. And I'm going to tell you what happened. OK, please. So, interesting. No. So I, I had heard about you. I was mm -hmm. like, there's this dude, like there's this dude, Nick K KJ Kearney. I've heard about him. I've seen him places. I've never met him. I was like, this dude is dope and I want to meet him. North Charleston High School had a, a homecoming um, two years ago. And I walked up to this guy and I thought it was you. 
Oh, word. And I started talking to him like, yo, I've always, like, I've always wanted to meet you. And, like, I started talking and da 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 And I'm, like, chat, 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 chatting. And then I, I like, I was like, yo, look, give me your number. I was like, give me your number. And I put his number in my phone. I put his number in my phone as KJ Kearney. Dead serious. Wow. KJ Kearney. And I got back to my car. And I was like, babe, I don't think. I was talking to my wife. I was like, babe, I don't think that was him. I don't, I don't think that was KJ. I, I don't think that was him. So I never called the number because I had told a guy, I was like, yo, I want to get you on the show and all of this stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It, it wasn't you. <laughs> it was not you. But I talked to this dude. It was actually somebody I actually knew. It was just dark. He was a dark-skinned guy. He was built like you, and he had on the glasses. Yeah, I get you. I get and it. I, I was get- like... It was, I was like, it was KJ. It was actually my homeboy, Antonio. If Antonio's watching, he's probably not. But it was Antonio Carter. Yo, Antonio, I thought you were KJ, man. You're not KJ. But I said that to say that when I finally got to meet you, you were so much, like, from what I thought you would be, you're so much doper than even that. Oh, man. You're like, 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 I I, I fanned out. Like, I fanned out to somebody who wasn't you. I feel you. (laughs) And my my whole thing is that, I let me tell you why I appreciate that. Is because the dude that you thought you were meeting four years ago, I mean, not to say that you wouldn't enjoy his company, but this version of KJ is way better than that four years ago. Yeah, you know what I mean? So I we like met it. each other when we were supposed to meet. Because four years ago, KJ would have never been in a mental space to be like, hey, you need to come talk to these kids. Because I wouldn't have been working with no kids. For, you know, like, so right. like we yeah. met when we were supposed to meet, dog. I appreciate yeah, that. Well, I appreciate you, bro, man. And I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Everybody, thank y'all so much for watching, man. This has been a really dope episode, talking to really dope people, man. If y'all haven't already, go ahead and follow KJ on Black Food Fridays, on TikTok, and on Twitter, and on Facebook. Follow him everywhere. Keep up to where he's going, because I promise you, sky's the limit for this young man. He's an amazing, amazing human being, and he exemplifies so many of the great things that that come right out of our city. Y'all know how I feel about the city of North Charleston and the people of North Charleston. Like, y'all sleeping on us, but we coming. And y'all ain't ready for us yet, but we coming. I promise you we coming. Um, thank you for watching this week. Um, remember that the local celebrity spotlight shines every Wednesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Next week's guest is Miss Tamika Gadsden. She has another last name. Tamika Gadsden. She's an activist. She's an amazing lady. She she does great work. I promise you, if you've been following Black Lives Matter, if you've been following the protests, you've been following the civil unrest, you want to talk to her. You want to hear from her. And I hope I got the right last name. I may not have the right, right last name. Because you know who she is. And you're thinking, you're trying to figure out what it is. Well, you're guessing, that's it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, work. So, yes, yeah. she's going to be on next week. I'm really excited about talking to her. Tune in if you enjoyed this discussion. Um, I can't promise you it's going to be this dope, but I promise you it's going to try to make it somewhere near as dope. I promise that. Um, mm-hmm. Follow me everywhere you can find podcasts. I'm on Spotify, Google Play, um, Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find me. Follow me on social media. Anywhere you can find get on social media, you can find me. Um, and go to my website, www.realtalkwithrajan.com. I want to thank y'all for everything. Thank you for watching. Always remember that God is everything, and without him, we are nothing. So never forget where your help comes from. And if a man doesn't stand for something, he's bound to fall for anything. Now that is real talk. I will see y'all next week. Peace. Hey. That was dope. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. Go do your class, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, family. Be good. Peace.